The Big Footy Port Adelaide podcast is proudly sponsored by New Vision. My team, Kanda, power. I love the power. power, power. I love the power. power, power. Hello. Uh, welcome to the Big Footy Port Adelaide podcast preview show for round 21. We're playing the Melbourne Demons on Saturday night at Lee Wicker Oval, also known as Adelaide Oval. Um, I'm Portia, and uh, joining me tonight is Macca19. How's it going, Macca? Mate, how you going? You must yeah. be excited. Ah, oh, absolutely thrilled. Absolutely thrilled. Um, but just, and... just how do you think your favourite team's going to go up against Port Adelaide this week? <laughs> Look, honestly, I'm getting a lot more enjoyment out of the out of the demons this year than I am Port Adelaide because at least it feels like they're on the up, um, and I can't say that I feel like we are at the moment. But there you go. <laughs> Ah, uh, yeah. Look, I think I think we have to. I think we're probably going to win, but I guess we'll get into that a bit later. Um, yep. Sorry, then, when you say we, which who are you talking about there? Port Adelaide Macca. Ah, there we go. I'm a Port there Adelaide we go. fan. Done. All right. I'll Hot stop topic. being smarter. <laughs> Why now? <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. Hot topic. Big one. Jesse Palmer debut. It's the, the most, most most positive news I think we've got tonight coming up. Oh, second most positive probably. Um, tell us about him, Maka. What do you think? Is it is it good? I think it's very good. I've been calling for it for what, like two months now? Yeah, it's really. Been a while. He's had really good form this year in the SNFL. He had good form last year as well, but I guess he's changed his game a little bit this year. Where last year he was more of a, a forward pocket lead up half forward. Um, he has added a, a bit of a midfield tinge to his game this year, so he's um, he's been adding a little bit of zip to the Maggie's midfield and, and getting quite a lot of the ball. He's a really good grab, uh, really nice kick, um, can be a little wayward in front of goals at times. Um, but outside of that, I guess um, yeah, he, I guess he plays pretty similar to Youngy. I guess if you were to make a comparison, but yeah, super excited. And it's about time. Yeah, look, um, I just want to say something because I had a quick read through the old Jesse Palmer was drafted thread um, and uh, the, the big stat from before he was drafted and we've been complaining all year about how we have inaccurate kicks. Um, under 18 level before he was drafted, he kicked, uh, I think he was 14th in the goal kicking but he would have been first if he'd been a bit more accurate and instead he was about a 50% right. Yeah. And if he's doing a junior level, we're adding another forward to our side who is traditionally not an accurate <laughs> kick. So I don't know how you feel about that, Macca. That's probably my one concern. Hopefully I think he's changes. improved that. I think Has he's he? improved his accuracy since he's been here. Um, it is true his, uh, his accuracy at under-18 level uh, left a lot to be desired at times, mm. but um, I think that has improved uh, for sure. And look, Hopefully he can go out there and kick a couple of goals on the weekend. That'd be great. Yeah, absolutely. Um, now, next question. We've got, obviously, a few things to talk about for nicknames. Um, we've actually had two put up on the Spreaker chat form already. Dylan W is saying Laura. Laura Palmer after Twin Peaks, um, Craig, or you're saying Teresa. Um, That'll be Teresa, surely. Yeah. It's also possibly Robert Palmer from Simply Irresistible or Arnold Palmer the Golfer. Um, my favourite, and it's from Boss351, although he didn't put it quite like this, is just Chicken, Chicken Palmer. Um, well, does that mean does that mean uh, we have to call him Chicken Palmy? No, no, Chicken Palmer. It's all right. You can call him Palmer. He's, he's Victorian. He's Victorian. He's Victorian, so it's okay. You can do that. Um, no, that that is the best nick. I hope that is his nickname oh, at the club. Chicken Absolutely. Palmer would be the best nickname in the AFL. 
Well, absolutely. And look, not only that, um, but also it's a traditional Port Adelaide nickname. So obviously there'd be a fair few people out there that would know, but for those that don't, um, we had one of our greatest players who's named in Port Adelaide's greatest team, eight-time premiership player back in the 50s with Foss, two-time best and fairest is Neville Chicken Hayes. Um, admittedly, he was a backman, but um, gee, it'd be nice to see that name passed down, and particularly if it can be humorous at the same time. Absolutely. Mm. All right, looking at the next thing, I guess um, we'll skip quickly ahead. Kyle Chalmers, gold medal, not bad, eh? How good's that? Yeah, Remember? not bad. Mini been... snake, junior snake. <laughs> so, what a snake, what do, you, what do you call him? What a snake, that's it. <laughs> Oh dear. Okay. Yeah. No, I didn't see. It. I didn't see. It. Did you see the swim or not? I didn't. I was at work at the time. But yeah. Um, no. Great. Have to dig it up. Yeah. Uh, and hey, next... Fantastic for bread as well. You, you little ripper. Oh, yeah. Look, I mean, when those things, when it's you're talking about an Olympic um, performing kid and swimming particularly, I mean, that's a lot of early mornings. So you know that family's obviously put in pretty hard for him to get to this point, and it's really good. You know, it's always good to see that sort of effort rewarded. Um, oh, yeah. And particularly... If, if you're a swimmer and you make it at the Olympic level, yeah. then you absolutely deserve any sort of success that you get and any medals that you get because, as you said, the amount of early morning swims... I mean, oh, I, there's no way I could do that. Oh, like Most of the people in the country wouldn't be able to get up at bloody 5 o'clock in the morning and then go to school after that and then go back to training after school and do all that sort of stuff. Um, you know, it takes a lot of guts, a lot of effort, and, uh, yeah, good on him. Yeah, and I mean, that's really, I think it's probably more evident, particularly in the individual sports, that, you know, that's a win for him, but it's really a win for his family as well, because that's a whole family effort to get him there, that, all the support that you need to do that. Yeah. Um, you know, it's not easy for families to be able to support their kids that way, so it's really good. Um, the next sort of news is about Brett Montgomery being dropped as an assistant at the Western Bulldogs. Um, yeah, have you heard can, can anything you call about it that? Being, can you call it being dropped? I don't know. I thought he'd been nicked off and told to go on gardening leave. I'm not too sure. I think he's lined up another job. Surely that must be what it is. Which is quite funny considering we were speaking about him what, what, yeah, two, right. two weeks ago on the podcast about being um, well, the next uh, sort of senior coach. But um, Yeah, I mean, surely he's got another job lined up. Surely he's got a senior job lined up. Because the only reason that you would... Uh, you would leave being an assistant coach on the on the verge of the finals when you're the senior assistant coach is if you do what we did to Clarkson and Bailey, and that's that they've got another uh, they've got an actual senior job lined up, and you let them leave so they can uh, concentrate on that. Well, there's one issue or two issues with that. The first one, obviously, being that there's no senior spot available yet that I'm aware of. Um, so that's that's intriguing if that is the case. But the other one is that um, Peter Sumich, who's been given the same treatment, uh, he's been let go from Frio early, and I certainly don't think he's moving on anywhere else. Um, uh, although he was highly rated at one stage as being a senior coach, but um, yeah. that ship might have sailed by now. But Yeah, I mean, well, look, if, if Monty's been dropped, then uh, that's, um, yeah, that's, that's pretty big news, really. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's hard to know. You know, but I guess <laughs> it doesn't necessarily mean a lot because it's not the first time he's been given the heave from the Bulldogs, is it? <laughs> <laughs> no, very true. And last time we got a premiership from it, so who knows? Yeah. Um, yeah. 
Uh, all right. Well, look, we'll move along to the last time they met. Just go through the process. And that was yep. earlier this year. And uh, fortunately, we won, which is nice to be able to talk about a win. Um, Port Doesn't Adelaide... happen often, does it? Well, it happens a bit, about half the time, apparently. Hmm. Um, Port Adelaide, 10 goals, 16, 9, uh, 76. Defeats Melbourne, 18, 13, 121. It was a 45-point margin. That doesn't um, work. I think you got that the wrong way. Did I get it wrong? Yeah. I probably got the numbers yeah. wrong. Yeah, okay. Excuse me. Anyway, I know it was a 45-point margin. It was definitely right. Um, Melbourne were ahead by three goals, or three points early. Uh, we both kicked two goals, so it was basically pretty defensive. But in the second quarter, we really blew it out. Um, Port kicked six goals to two. Um, third quarter, they came back a little, and then we had another. So there must have been a bit of a breeze. Um, that last quarter, we kicked six goals, two to one goal, four. Um, it was a... Look, it was a really pretty convincing win, I thought. Um, but... We all have memories for whatever reason. We think, oh, we're playing in the Territory. I'm not sure how we go against the Ds up there. But that's because we lost to them when we played in Darwin. But, of course, Traeger Park is in Alice Springs. And we mm. they've beaten us there. So um, I don't know how much that's a factor. I know down here in Melbourne, in Melbourne heartland, everyone's complaining about how our Ds are just basically selling away wins to Port Adelaide when they play in Alice Springs. Which, mm. yeah, maybe. That, that's nice of them. <laughs> Bring it. Yeah. So, what do you remember of this game, Macca? What was your favourite thing to come out of it? It was one of our more impressive wins of the year, which mm. I guess isn't really saying much, but uh, we did um, we did dominate them pretty much. And I guess the uh, the interesting part for me was um, was Max Gorn had a, a huge day out. He was mm. absolutely mm. fantastic in the ruck, and you know Trengove got pretty much thrashed in the end. I think it was forty eight hitouts to ten. I think um, Gorn doubled his clearances, yep. uh, kicked a couple of goals as well. Um, and despite that, we still beat them in the clearances, 33 to 32. And not only that, um, we pretty well dominated them through the midfield as well. So uh, it just goes to show that, um, you know, that you, I guess you don't really need to have uh, Trengo dominating in the ruck in terms of clearances to, uh, to get the job done for Port Adelaide. Yeah, but I mean, I also think it says a lot about Melbourne. Um, like, I, I was didn't think Melbourne was going to win that game um, because they are, not that they're inconsistent, but that they... No, okay, the individual players are generally fairly consistent, but working together they don't do consistently. So their system is still something they're working out, they don't know. It sounds really familiar, right? Um, Yeah, and so, I mean, I'm not too surprised, but they're a team that looks... They're looking better and better on paper all the time, Um, and I think they look probably better on paper in that match as well, really. But, um, yeah, no, it was definitely good to get that win. Um, Obviously notable for us in that game was Charlie Dixon kicking five goals, which is obviously his big haul for the year. And probably his last decent game as well. So. Yeah, unfortunately, he's sort of struggled a bit since then. It felt like that was the drought breaker, but uh, it's been uh, a bit of a drought since then. Maybe it was the Oasis in the end. Uh, mm. The Oasis at Alice Springs, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, and as you said, Max Gorn won hitouts. Um, the only stat that we really had any other variation with, apart from the scoreline, was that we had more tackles, which you'd have to say probably just means that we put pressure on them and they folded, and I think that's probably what we're going to see potentially unfold this week if we can apply pressure properly in midfield. What do you think? Yeah. Well, I think my main memory of this game is um, just how well our defence held up, to be honest. I think they, mm. they got a fair bit of the ball through the midfield, and um, our half-back line was just like an absolute wall back there, and um, that, that's the main thing that I remember. I thought uh, Paul Stewart had a really good game, and uh, Jackie Homsch was uh, was pretty decent as well. Um, so, yeah, I think we're missing both of those players out there, or at least Homsch anyway this week, but... Um, that, that's my main uh, memory from last time. Um, hopefully we can do it again. 
Yeah, absolutely. But um, yeah, the Viney punch on versus Ebert. Um, I think every Port fan in the world was just shouting at the fact that the commentators were immediately calling it an open hand strike, yeah. um, or open hand strikes, I should say. Strikes, yeah, yeah. multiple. Yeah. <laughs> open, open hand, open yeah. hand. I don't know. Isn't isn't the martial art uh, karate? Isn't that empty hand? You know, it's empty hand, open hand. It's all the same thing. It can really bloody hurt. <laughs> well, look, clearly, uh, Sam Mitchell got some lessons from uh, Jack Viney on how to uh, perfect the open hand punch and not get uh, any weeks. Look, I kind of wonder if it's a thing that if you're a son of, you get better umpiring as well. Like if you get treated more nicely because the people that are making all the calls on your career, they all knew your dad. Do you think that might be a thing? Oh, look, it's the good bloke. He's a good bloke. Yeah. Well, I'm just sort of thinking about the Silvanis now, which I know is... And he was a good bloke, Todd Viney. They're all good blokes. Exactly. Todd Viney was a good bloke. The good bloke discount. Yeah, well, it's the sauce thing as well. I mean, you know, I don't reckon that um, young Silvani, I've forgotten what his first name is, I don't think he'll have any issues with the umpires over his career. Yeah, Jack, I don't think he'll have any issues with the umpires at all. Um I guess we'll see. We'll see. It'll mm. unfold. And hopefully we'll get some of these father-sons that have good bloke parents. But I don't think we have any, do we? Uh, all right. Look, we'll move along um, to this week versus Melbourne. Just belting through it. Belting through it. Yeah. Um, because we've got the melts. It's the melts, basically, in the form of not only is Matthew Lobby back in, which I'm not super excited about. John Butch is out. Butch is out. Butch is out. It's Look, I love a bit of melt on my uh, chicken parma. So <laughs> this is, uh, <laughs> oh, what a classic. Uh, yeah, look, milk time central here. Not only is Lobie back in, Butcher's out. Is that the last time we're going to see uh, Johnny Butcher? Look, um, honestly, I was kind of surprised. It seemed weird at the time last week. And I don't think I don't know how the catchers can drop him this week without acknowledging that selecting him last week was a pretty big stuff up. Um, because you can get away with one key forward at the SCG. Um, at the SCG, in that weather, two key forwards, is, you know, Butcher was probably the better performer of them, quite frankly, on the day. Oh, definitely. Um, so um, it's just weird to come back to Adelaide and then decide on the larger oval and hopefully it will be better weather, that, no, we'll just go back to one forward. Because, <laughs> yeah. let's face it, I mean, Lobby's not. I did read on the changes through that someone thought that Trengove might go forward. Um, I suppose that's possible. I, I am expecting... I think they've come to the conclusion, look, Lobie was that good in the SANFL last week. He's got to come back in. What do we do? Like, what's what's the solution to this problem that we've got here? And the solution is drop Butcher, probably play, um, you know, Trengove and Lobie uh, through the forward line at stages. And that would be it. I'd argue that, where That's I'm what not. they've come up with. You see, I think that's a fall- I think I don't think that's right anyway. I think that if Lobby had come in for, I mean, we we're talking about. Um, the other, I'll do the other changes too quickly. So it's a total of a Matthew Lobby, Jesse Palmer, and Cam O'Shea coming in for John Butcher, Brendan Archie, and Paul Stewart. I feel like if we had just brought Lobby in and dropped someone like Paul Stewart, um, I don't think we'd be too tall. I think that we're actually, you know, if we had Butcher and Lobby both in the side, I think that actually turns us back to what we were trying to play towards the start of the year when we had Schultz and Dixon, you know? Yeah. Um, because even even if Trengove has to go back, then that gives you Austin and or Clurie, and it's not a bad thing to have both of them potentially covering um, either Watts or Hogan. Uh, mm. Then you've got Lobby as your primary ruckman, 
and then you'd have Dixon and Butcher as your two key forwards. I mean, I think that that's a pretty reasonable thing to have as your lineup, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, I would have kept Butcher in for sure. Yeah. Um, I guess the other thing to consider, as I said a little bit earlier, was that uh, Trengove was absolutely spanked by Gorn last last time we met. So maybe they've um, decided that uh, you know a bit of a two pronged attack and see how that goes with uh, with Lobie and Trengove going up against Max Gorn. Yeah, maybe. I, I reckon what'll probably happen is it'll be Lobby going against Gorn and we'll just get Ollie Wines being our Ruckman with the third art, which he's been doing. He's been doing it for a while now. Um, yes, yes. And he's getting, I guess he's getting pretty competent at doing it. So mm. it's not affecting his, the rest of his game, I don't think. I think it's kind of adding something. It would yeah. just be, it'd just be nice if we didn't have to rely on him as, a, as an extra man up and we mm. could actually have a Ruckman getting it right there, but that's all right. No, it's a shame. I expected to see Butcher for the rest of the year. To be honest, mm. I didn't think I thought he would play every game for the rest of the season. And um, is that the end? Uh, quite, cos- quite possibly could be. Uh, yeah. Well, it could be. Um, and I think Brendan Archie is the other one. You sort of have to wonder whether it's the end of the line for him as well. Yeah. Well, that, that could very easily be his last game last week as well. So. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think the concerns about Brendan Archie we've sort of already seen, and I think, if anything, the Brisbane game only confirmed it, which is that if he can only show those exceptional characteristics of his game when he's against a team that doesn't pressure him, then he's not going to make a full footballer. Yeah. I mean, having said that, this is probably one game I would have played Archie in against Melbourne, who have a pretty, pretty big, pretty tall... Solid, well-built, um, but a little bit slow midfield. So he, he would have probably matched up pretty well um, this weekend. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, I don't know that I agree with that. I mean, I, I think he would have gone okay, but I, uh, I don't... I mean, I, do you... I don't know. What, what, what are we trying to do in this game? What are we trying to do in this? Are we trying to win? Are we trying to get our team ready for next year? What are we trying to do? <laughs> I really don't know. Honestly, I really don't know. I mean, Cam O'Shea for Paul Stewart's neither here nor there. I mean, no, Stewart it's a nothing absolutely change. terrible yeah. last week, but Cam O'Shea comes back in. Hopefully, I mean, you could say with uh, with two of these guys coming in, it's just to see if they can uh, show something and, and try and boost their uh, their trade value just uh, a little bit in Lobie and O'Shea. Yeah. It's strange. Um I don't understand it. Anyway, we'll look we'll move along. Um, the bench this week, uh, it's uh, Cam O'Shea, Carl Amon, Sam Gray and Nathan Cracker, which is, all seems pretty deserved. I think they're probably... Yeah, I don't think there's anyone else that would be lower on that 22 than those four. Um, oh, that does mean... That, yeah, yeah, Lobby's named it Ruck. Uh, emergencies, Jake Need, Riley Bonner and Brendan Archie. It would have been nice to have seen Riley Bonner in, I think, instead of Cam O'Shea this week. Unless, of yeah. course, as you say, we're trying to pre- O'Shea for trade. Because well, even if... I would have, I would have dropped Cracker for Bonner, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. Look, I mean, that's probably not unfair. Cracker has been pretty inconsistent in the second half of the year for sure. Um, yeah. yeah, no. All right. Um, and I guess we'll move along quickly to the D's. Only one change. It's a pretty simple one as far as thinking about how it's going to affect their side. In that Sam Wiedemann, who came in uh, and for Jesse Hogan last week, is being replaced by Jesse Hogan. Um, Wiedemann yeah. now. Wiedemann that's now. That's a bit injured. of a shame. Bit of a shame. Yeah. I would have liked to have seen uh, Wiedemann out there, to be honest. So he had a real oh. good game last week in his debut. So two goals would have been nice. Would have been nice to see him, but uh, never mind. We get well, to see Jesse Hogan tear shit up instead. 
Honestly, if we had seen Sam Wiedemann out there this week, I mean, I might have had to actually do, completely convert to being a Demons fan because you'd have what Hogan, <laughs> what, Hogan, Watson, Wiedemann. I mean, that's pretty much a dream forward line for me. It's what I've been rabbiting on about for, for 15 years yep. on the on big footy. Uh, that's exactly what I want to see in a footy team. So, um, Port, lift your fucking game. Ah, <laughs> 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 uh, Frustration yeah. is coming out. Sorry. Uh, all right. Well, look, um, I guess we'll get down to the matchups. We just talked a little bit about Gorn versus Lobby. Um, they haven't actually gone head-to-head for a whole game before. Previously, when JML was on the list, Gorn was rocking behind him. But um, against Lobby previously, Gorn still did get 10 hit-outs in about half a game, and that probably included some time outside of Ruck as well. Um, you'd have to think that Gorn's going to do him, really. Oh, absolutely. Gorn's... Yeah. You know, all Australian ruckman at this stage. Yeah, um, yeah. Lobie's um, miles off, absolutely miles off, and Trengove um, couldn't do him last time. So, yeah, I mean, it's all going to come down to that sort of uh, matchup, really. If, if Gorn can uh, can dominate, uh, it's going to make things difficult. But as we saw last time, he dominated, and we still got the job done. So, you never know. Hopefully, uh, hopefully, we see something from Matty Lobie. Oh, I just want to see something from him. Look, the main, there's two things that I'm going to say about Lobby is that if he plays Gorn from behind like he likes doing in Ruck, I don't think it's going to work. He might at best negate Gorn's influence a little bit, but if he's not 100% there, I'm not 100% ready, then Gorn's going to tear him apart. And the other thing is that if the ball comes to ground, I mean, Gorn's better than Lobby as well. Yeah. There too. Yeah. He's just a, he's, he's a complete Ruckman now, Max Gorn. And he takes um, marks. And he, he kicks takes, goals. He does take marks and he does kick goals. And he, he, if you pass the ball to him in midfield, you don't have to worry about what's going to happen next. You know, he's actually mm. fairly competent as a footballer in general. Yeah. Um, still on the Rockman scale, admittedly, but, you know, he's not bad. He's not Nick Nightingale, but he's not bad. Um, but I guess what it's going to come down to, as you say, Macca, is uh, midfield. Um, on paper, the Melbourne midfield, considering it's made up all of what top five draft picks just about, mm. it looks pretty good, doesn't it? Um, it's uh, Jake Farney's in good form. He had 28 handballs alone against Hawthorne last week. That's um, madness. Yeah, and a pretty good number of clearances as well. Um, but if you look at that whole Melbourne side, they actually had a huge amount of possession against Hawthorne as well. And I'm hoping that might be an area where they are exploitable. Because one of the things we do know about from the Choco days is obviously that, you know, the more you possess, every time you dispose of the ball, there's a chance you might cough it up. So I think yeah. that I, I think that Melbourne is still very susceptible to physical pressure. Um, I don't know that Hawthorne were trying as hard as they could maybe last week. Um, but I think that's certainly the way. I mean, it worked against Alice Springs, and I think we'd probably try for that again. What do you think? Yeah, I think you're probably right. I mean, a lot of people talk about um, uh, Melbourne's forwards as being the, the key behind their sort of uh, improvement, but it's, it's really come from the midfield. I mean, Gorn, as we said, is All-Australian Ruckman this year, no doubt yep. about that. You know, Nathan Jones is a very good footballer. Jack Viney's improved out of sight. Mm. And they just run so deep through that midfield now. Uh, they they have so many options. If it's not, you know, Christian Protracca and Bernie Vince, then it's Clayton Oliver and Angus Brayshaw. There's yep. younger guys like Billy Stretch that can go through there. Um, Dean Bug. Kent as well. Uh, Bug, yeah, he's uh, he's had a really good year this year. Yep. Um, they bat so deep through that midfield now. Uh, they, they've got options aplenty, and uh, I think that's going to be a Pretty big cause for concern this week for us, to be honest. Look, I mean, it's actually a pretty deep midfield in some ways, but like I said earlier, I mean, really, it's just that they're still learning the system. I think in two years' time, 
Keith Goodwin's not a complete hopeless case, which he might be. Mm. But <laughs> the concern for me is that Goodwin is assembling a side a midfield specifically full of players that play a little bit like he did. So if anyone should know how to maximize it, it should be him. Yeah. Um, you know, they're all pretty tough clearancey guys that love to get it out and get it forward at any cost. Um, and that sort of plays into what they were doing at Melbourne previously, but of course Melbourne previously did it as with really soft midfield and they've actually got a, a much more potentially contested one. If they have a bit more commitment coming in next year with a new coach trying to impress, yeah. that could really lift them. So, mm. uh, I know I'm risking turning this into the D's show, so I do apologize. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, look, I, I don't know. I, I don't know how we match up against the midfield because I still don't rate our second team midfield at all. Obviously it's not that great. You know, we've had Brendan Archie has played a fair number of games this year and I don't think he's shown much at all. Um, yeah. He's out admittedly. Now we're bringing in, what, Jesse Palmer to play in a half forward role. I don't know. I, mm. I, if we, I've got to hope that the physical pressure works. If it doesn't, I don't know that we've got a backup maneuver yeah. to get us that win. Well, hopefully, Ebert goes to Viney again because he did a really good job on him last time. So that yeah. that was one uh, that was one matchup that we we definitely got the points for. Um, yeah. You know, Ollie winds up against Nathan Jones. That'd be interesting. Um, I really rate Dom Tyson really, really highly. I'm not sure who goes to him. Uh, maybe Travis Boat, someone like that. We yep. might see them sort of following each other around. Uh, Christian Petrak is probably one that might get off the leash a little bit. Yeah. You know, we probably don't have anybody of his size uh, and strength uh, in the side at the moment uh, that can sort of, that can probably match him. Uh, especially if he sort of moves forward, it might be interesting to see what happens there. Um, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's a concern. It's a big concern because they're all in pretty decent form at the moment, and you'd have to say our midfield, you know, half are playing okay, and the other half are um, are really struggling. Yeah, look, I mean, I guess the other saving grace for us is the fact that the Demons' defence is actually still kind of crap. Um, Tom McDonald is an yeah. excellent footballer, but apart <clears> from that, I mean, Oscar McDonald's still playing, and he's not an AFL footballer. Um, <laughs> what, Hunt, Frost, Frost is okay. They've stuck with him, Frost. Oscar, Oscar McDonald. They've really stuck they have, with him, but... much to the uh, chagrin of the, the Melbourne supporters, I think. But uh, yeah. I think he's got a little bit better as the season's gone on. Uh, Westhoff... Uh, should hopefully have a big day out against him. <laughs> I, I would say, hope. Fingers crossed. But when you say Westoff, I kind of feel like Oscar McDonald is the is the um, the other Westoff. What's his name? Yeah, Matthew Westoff. He's the Matthew Westoff of the pair. <laughs> he is absolutely. <laughs> well, I'm not sure about Tom McDonald. I think he's a good stopper. Um, yeah, but that's what I, I think mean. if you put him under pressure when he gets the ball and, and don't allow him to sort of rebound with it. Um, he does tend to stuff up and, and turn the ball over quite a bit. So if True. we can uh, get a couple of players in his face when he gets the ball, um, that would certainly be um, a positive for us, I think. Yeah, and look, I mean, this is match-up. Like, that defence for the Demons is something that really makes me wonder. Um, again, why would you drop Butcher this week? Because there's an exposable defender in Oscar McDonald that he could really have a day out against. Yeah. Um, even if Charlie Dixon goes on Tom McDonald and it's a nothing all um, matchup, I mean, I, there's certainly room to exploit the rest of that defence. If we can just, even if we do just bomb the ball forward like we have done in the past, I, I kind of feel yeah. like we've missed an opportunity there. Yeah, and there's Sam Frost there as well, even though he's um, he's sort of switched between forward and back so far this year. Yeah, um, I don't know. Our, our forward line looks a little bit too small. Our back line looks a little bit too tall. That's why I think we'll likely see Trengove um, start up forward. I think. Yeah, and see how that goes, and 
I'm all for that. I, I like Trengover as a forward, and you know, I think he can take a grab, and you know, he's a nice kick for goal. So hopefully, uh, hopefully that happens, and hopefully uh, he performs. Look, honestly, I would really love to see that because the one thing that we've learned about Jackson Trengove this year is his desire to compete. Um, and realistically, I mean, he did play a bit of centre-half forward when he was a junior, and if you can have a centre-half forward with a desire to compete, I mean, you're halfway there, aren't you? Um, yeah. And we're talking about, you just talked about uh, Tom McDonald being exposable if he's put under pressure. I mean, if you can get Trengove on Tom McDonald, I reckon McDonald will... Not have Crumble. A, he'll have not have a good day, and the defenders around him won't be. I don't think they're. I don't think they're hard enough to be able to relieve him properly. Quite honestly, yeah. Mm. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. I think we've also got an advantage in our small forwards. I think. Um, yeah, yeah. You now Wingard and Young both had really good games against Melbourne last year, and I don't think yeah. they've got anyone that can really stop Chad. To be honest, um, no. he tore Neville Jetter apart. Um, Earlier this season, uh, who's a pretty decent shutdown defender, um, but Chad just had far too many tricks for him. So hopefully, again, that happens on the weekend. Mm, mm, absolutely, um, and I guess the last thing to talk about is that forward line that I was quite glowing about earlier. Um, look, look at the tools. I still think that their small forwards are kind of a bit. Eh, they're okay. Garlot's not bad. He works hard, uh, and if you play the midfielders going, you know, more as half forward like Petraka. Um, then they could be a bit more devastating. But, I mean, they're still working out how to play together in a lot of ways. Yeah. Garlet uh, can be very, very good. He can be very, very bad. And yeah. I think he's probably disappointed a little bit this year compared to his uh, his first season at the D's last year. Probably hasn't gone on with it. I think he had a pretty good start to the year as well, but just hasn't gone on with it. Um, the same could really be said for Vandenberg as well. He's, um, he's not really shown much uh, so far this year. Uh, Dean Kent's probably been the big surprise um, because he looked like an absolutely horrendous footballer um, at the start of the season. Uh, his previous years were pretty ordinary. Uh, but he's had a really good year, 24, 24 goals. He's averaging something like 16 touches a game. Um, you know, he's performed really well. I Just on Dean Kent, I mean, I thought the start of last year before he got injured, I thought he was actually playing pretty good football then. And I think that what we're actually seeing is it's not this is not that this is the surprise season, but that... He was probably due for a good year last year, but then he had a really bad injury, uh, and then he's actually sticking to a form line in my view. So I, I think, I, look, I do rate him. I don't, I don't think he's anything more than maybe a, a, a Justin Westhoff with less tricks. But I think certainly in this forward line, I mean, he's an important part of it at the moment. Um, yeah. And I guess the other one to mention is the bit of the surprise packet. He, he can be very variable in his form, and that's Cameron Pedersen. Um, he is a bit Westhoffish. Uh, I'd probably compare him a bit more to Jared. He's He's very West Offish. Um, yeah, I'd say more Jared Waite, just in, because he lacks that little bit of X factor, but he's pretty solid. Like he's he's got his basics down pretty well, um, and if he pops up in the forward line, he could be a bit of a pain if they've got midfield dominance. <laughs> but if they don't, then I'm not too worried. Yeah, look, he's someone who, um, after his uh, terrible game against Port Adelaide in round one, 2013, where he ducked his head and just <laughs> yeah. looked, uh, looked like an absolute joke of a footballer. His last sort of two or three games against Port have actually been pretty good. <laughs> so he's really come to play against us. Um, and yeah, I mean, he's one that you, you kind of got to stop because he's, uh, he's mobile, he's athletic, can take a really good contested grab um, and can sort of play down back and up forward as well. So uh, he might create a few headaches if they're, uh, if they're playing well. He's someone that could get off um, and, and get a bit of the ball. Yeah, and look, just looking at the team as named, and admittedly there might be some parts where it's a bit positional or whatever else but you look at the interchange 
like our interchange, Cam O'Shea, Carl Amon, Sam Gray, Nathan Cracker, their interchanges, Angus Brayshaw, Clayton Oliver, Billy Stretch and Cameron Pedersen. There's no comparison between those two, is there? That's a, no, that's right. A huge imbalance. So that I don't know whether our depth might actually catch us out a little bit as well if it's a pressure game. But it yeah. shouldn't be a pressure game. It's the end of the season. They're playing away from home, and I guess we'll get into the next thing. Uh, coach, should we be worried about Paul Roos? Um, they've got a terrible record against us. They, they haven't they beaten do. us since 2011, which, yeah. I mean, that was a dark time for us, and we were still, mm. <laughs> we're still beating them since then. Uh, and admittedly, while Paul Roos had the goods at Sydney, he just hasn't had the opportunity to take over that um, experience list at Melbourne. And I don't think well, he's a bit to... overrated, let's be honest. He is a bit overrated. Well, yeah, I mean, there's no cola for him at uh, a cost of living allowance for people that don't remember acronyms um, at Melbourne, obviously, so that is going to go against his potential top-end performance. But, I mean, he's got him playing better football, but I don't know if that's... I don't know if he's lived up to the name that he had before he came to Melbourne. They were coming from a base of nothing, and their best best season this year where the, they've been really talked up, they still haven't really uh, done any better than we have. They're still behind us on the ladder, and we've been absolutely disastrous, so... Yeah, but, but... I, I mean, I, I'm not, I'm not Paul Roo's biggest fan, um, to be honest. But uh, I, I think we should maybe be a little bit concerned about this game because well, we don't really have much to play for. Melbourne, um, but they just want to keep their form going. You know, they'll, they'll be on a high after their win against Hawthorne last week. Um, mm. This is definitely a danger game for Port. Yeah, well, look, I mean, just on Paul Rose, though, I mean, I think that given the fact he always had a time limit on his time there, I think he took has taken a more list manager role than game day. I mean, he obviously does the game day, and I don't think he's done very much this year at all. But if you look at their list, like not just the drafting, but also the fact that the players are not playing like idiots, uh, the fact that Jack Watts has turned around his attitude towards football and he's become a pretty good player, you know, the fact that... Jesse Hogan hasn't been wasted like every other um, high draft pick that Melbourne had before Paul Roos, and there's a few of them there that, you know, they're actually all playing pretty well now. Um, You'd have to say from that perspective, from a governance perspective, he's been a good senior coach, but I mean, obviously the results weren't there, but I don't think anyone expected them either. Mm. Um, Yeah, look, I mean, I guess... I don't know. I, I think the other thing that you've got to think about is the fact that like they've only won two games in a row this year for the first time in, what, three or four years or something before that? Yeah. yeah. Um, and they won last week, so the odds are pretty good that well, they're not going to win again this week, particularly outside of <laughs> Melbourne, uh, particularly against a team they haven't beaten for five years. Um, you have to say we're going to win. Like if, if you're just going on everything you can read and everything you can put on paper and you go on the stats, we should win this game. But the only thing is that we look like we're a little bit flat and they look like they're on the up. That's the only doubt I have. What do you think? I think you're spot on. Okay. But they have improved. Um, I still think it's a danger game, though. <laughs> because you just don't know what we're going to do. That's why it's a danger game. You don't know what Port Adelaide's going to turn up. Yeah, it's a bit worrying. <laughs> when, yeah. when you're 54 to nothing in a game last week... Um, yeah, that's true. You just can't <laughs> say with any sort of confidence. We'll do them this week. <laughs> if we we'll even run onto the park, you know, when the game starts, you, you just never know. No, that's true. Um, Jimmy Beerkans has said, "Yeah, I've got that dark cloud cloud feeling." Uh, he's stuttering in type. He's so worried about it. Mm. Um, yeah, it's a little bit, a little bit uh, concerning. But look, I mean, we should win. But I guess we'll get to that in a little bit. 
Um, moving along, quick discussion. I, I guess probably more me asking questions again and you saying, nah, shut up, Porsche. Um, the Magpies play against the Tigers at Glenelg. Oh, what do they call yes. it? Gliderol Stadium. Uh, this Saturday. Grow the Fire Stadium. Yeah, <laughs> Grow the Fire Stadium, exactly right. Uh, this Saturday at 1.40pm. Uh, at the present moment, Glenelg is 7th, Porter 6th. So there's obviously a huge amount at stake this late in the season. Um, Maka, what do you think about this match? There doesn't seem to be any huge ins or outs to the side this week. Um, I don't know, what are you expecting? Uh, a win. I think they beat us last time, and that should never, ever, ever happen. So, oh, God, no. A big win. Thank you very much, Port Adelaide Magpies. Contemptible. Ah, and uh, it'll, players... well, it'll be interesting to see a, uh, a Magpies forward line with Schultz and Butcher and Reynolds in it, to be honest, and <laughs> yeah, to see how many goals they can keep. Yeah, well, it's sad to think that, you know, Schultz and Butcher playing the forward line. I mean, I guess, what, this time last year would have been thinking, yeah, Schultz and Butcher in the forward line. Uh, both in the Magpies forward line now. So. Yeah. <laughs> well, that Magpies side is looking uh, pretty decent, to be honest. It is, it's yeah. um, Now that we've got most of our players back from injury, it's uh, it's running pretty deep. And, you know, the midfield looks really impressive. Uh, the back line looks uh, super strong, and, and the forward line has uh, lots of targets and uh, lots of, lots of uh, goal-scoring potential. So uh, I'm hoping for a big, big win, uh, you know, around about the sort of 70 or 80-point margin. That would be wow. great. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know if this is a fair comment. You can correct me on it. But, I mean, I kind of feel like at state league level, particularly the SNFL, like if you've got a couple of decent key forwards, like that's actually more important to you in a lot of ways than any other position on the field. I don't know. What do you think? Because I mean, I, they seems to, that seems to be the edge that you can get at SNFL level is if you've got a forward that is better than their opponent. Um, you know, midfield's usually sort of even out a little bit. If you've got that key forward, you're doing all right. I think if you've got, uh, yeah, I mean, it's probably an interesting. I've never really thought about it like that before, but I, I guess you're probably right to be honest because. Um, you know, the Eagles have some pretty impressive key forwards. They're top of the ladder. South of Brett Eddy, they're second. You know, mm. Sturt's uh, key forwards have performed really well this year as well. Yeah. Uh, we, we know the Crows' key forwards have, have kicked a lot of goals this year. Um, so, yeah, you, you're probably spot on there, to be honest. And it does. I mean, especially sort of those sort of big, bulky, maybe a little bit fat sort of key forwards yeah. like Michael Wunke and those, those sorts of players. Yeah, the, yeah. the, the old players that, uh, that are just too strong and... Uh, can you sort of sit in the goal square and take marks and kick four or five goals a game? It's really funny to think about the fact that the SNFL... Like, we're talking about the SNFL being a training ground for AFL, but it's kind of like the SNFL has become... It's regressed. It's it's regressed to the days of Grenfell Dietrich. I was just going to say, it's not just off-field still in the 1980s. Now on on on-field, it's still in the 1980s as well. Um, The on-field's gone back in time to match the off-field final countdown being played after every game. Yeah. (laughs) Ah, oh, dear. All right, well, look, we're going to win big, I hope, uh, particularly against the Glenelgs. The Glenelgs. <laughs> the Glenelgs. Yeah. Um, all right, well, look, we've got a couple of questions and comments from the forum, and uh, have we got any on speaker yet? Oh, we've got one from... We've got a football one, so we'll answer that one first. Oh. Jimmy Beercans asks, do you think Butch will drop his bundle? Jimmy, we don't want any football questions on this football podcast. Thank you very much. Will he drop his bundle? Uh, yeah. Well, I mean, it depends what he's being told, doesn't it? Why he's been dropped. Has he been told, you know, that's it? Um, that's the end? Then he might, uh, he could well have dropped, uh, or he could do drop his bundle. So, yeah, I don't know. It's a, That's an interesting one. I, I really hope 
he doesn't. I hope he comes out and kicks four or five and you know, puts his name back in lights again. Yeah, well, I mean, really, his attitude of being dropped is going to determine the difference between whether he's, you know, on an AFL list somewhere next year or if he's playing state, league or country. It's um, going to go one of two ways. He's, he's either going to get four touches, one mark, zero goals, one, or he's going to get, like, ten marks and four or five goals. Look, I'm sure Maffer will pay him a ton to go back home. So um, mm. if he drops his bundle, that's probably where he's headed. Uh, he, I don't think if he drops his bundle now, when he should be performing at whatever game he can to make sure he's on an AFL list next year, then yeah, he's gone. Yeah. Mm. All right. A non-football question. Actually, there's another football question. Oh my god. Oh, oh what's happening? Uh, Long live PAFC has asked, whose list would you prefer of Port Adelaide, Richmond, North Melbourne, and the West Coast Eagles? Oh, probably West Coast Eagles. Yeah, right? I mean, I, I think, think that's a pretty easy pretty one. Pretty substantially, <laughs> to be honest. North, you know, most of the North's players are about 38 years old, so yeah, they're yeah. going down the gurgler. Hmm. Richmond's uh, are full of um, bog-standard state league players, and yeah. they're Richmond, so I don't want anything to do with them. Yeah. Ours are just too inconsistent. Eagles, um, you know, they're, they're a little bit inconsistent and, you know, flat-track bullies and, you know, all that sort of stuff, but they've, they've got some serious talent on their list and some serious young talent as well, so... I think that's a pretty clear-cut answer there. Now, I've got a follow-up question for you, Macca. Mm. If you have to rank those four, so let's say the new question is, of these four, which off-field football management team would you prefer? So that's like your, your football ops manager, your recruiters and everything else. Yeah. Of those four, and how would you rank them? Which... Well, I would rank them. Um, I would say West Coast number one again. Because they've got a shitload of resources and mm. probably have more full-time recruiting staff than anyone else in the in the league. That's fair. Um, second would be North. Okay. Uh, because I do rate their uh, their ability to spot talent. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they always do well in the third round, don't they? They do. Yeah. Mm. Uh, uh, Port next. Yep. And Richmond a long way last. Yep. Yeah, look, I'm in total agreement. Because pretty, pretty I don't rate. One. I don't rate Blair Hartley at all, and I think uh, their strategy of picking up all these dud state league, you know, bog standard midfielders has been absolutely horrific for them, um, and they just keep doing it. Like, yeah. when does it end? When does it end? Well, hard to when he gets the sack, probably. Yeah, well, in twenty eighteen or whenever it is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so yeah, Eagles a long way on top, Richmond a long way on bottom for that one. Yep. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. The, I guess really the only question is whether you'd rank North ahead of us or not. But I, I do have to agree on the rule. I'd probably, over the long haul, North North Melbourne is probably still ahead of Port Adelaide at this point. But yeah. they've got list problems now that they'll need to resolve in the next few years because, they, yeah. as you said, they are pretty old on field now and they're going to have a bit of time at the bottom, you think. Yeah. Um, next one. Well, look, Andre, we look forward to Andre's questions, but they're all just really crap. So I'm just going to give Andre a telling off and say they're really weak questions, so we're not going to ask any of them. Uh, as Ken Hinckley would say, you get what you deserve. So no questions for you, Andre. Um, <laughs> bad luck. Uh, Dr. Fuel has asked a question. Now, this is one I've prepared a longer answer for. Um, his question is, if you're interested in a girl and she mentions she is going on a trip to Bali soon, should this be an instant red flag? Now, I think that you need to ask more questions. There's more things than that. I think that by itself is a bit innocuous because there are some things in Bali that are good to do. Maybe going to Bali as part of a, a big trip or a bus tour going from, 
I don't know, Lombok through to Jakarta or to Surabaya or wherever else, um, go by Bromo, Mount Bromo, all those sorts of things, Jog Jakarta. Um, but anyway, these are my questions. So these are the things you should find out. If they think Bali is mostly Muslim, that's a red flag. It's actually mostly Hindu. That's why yeah. Australians go there. That's why it's traditionally been a bit easier for Australians to be there. Uh-huh. If they go on about how it's cheaper than going to the Gold Coast, it's a red flag. Like, I've never met anyone that sort of talks about, oh, yeah, going to Bali because it's cheaper than the Gold Coast. Like, yeah, they're always a, you're always a dickhead <laughs> if, you, if you go on about that. If they get confused that their ticket says Denver Sire instead of Bali, it's a red flag. That's just that's a big red flag. Yep. Yeah, that's a big one. If they think the Indonesian word for beer is bintang, that's a huge red flag because the Indonesian word for beer is beer. Um, bintang's a brand. And that means mm. if you if all you know is bintang <laughs> and you're talking about Indonesian beer, then you're probably a bit of a bogan. And the last one, this is a really big one. If they offer to pay for you to go to Bali with them, but you can only take one bag because they've got a bunch of stuff to take to friends, so they'll check one of their bags in your allowance, that's that's a really big red flag as well. So That's that a red case, flag too. Yeah, 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 just watch out for that one because... Um, yeah. You know, you, you, if you're not, you, all your friends will see you on TV probably in about five years when you talk about your horrible experience. No bodyboard bags. Yeah, just, yeah. Watch, just out, say watch out for those. They're, they're yeah. always tricky, aren't they, those ones? Um, so I hope that answers your question, Dr. Fuel. Did you have anything you wanted to add to that, Macca? Uh, if she's going over there to get a tattoo on her face and her labia pierced, <laughs> then uh, that's possibly also a red flag. So depending if you like that or not. So Yeah, that know. applies to most of Southeast Asia, really, not just Bali, but yes. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, all right, next question. Now, this is one, obviously, you, you're going to be very informed about, Macca. Dylan, Dylan 8 has asked, what is the best document font and why is it Verdana? <laughs> why is it Verdana? <laughs> oh, Verdana. Why would you choose that? Why uh, on earth would you choose that? Look, clearly, the correct answer is Arial. No, no. The, look, I think we've seen a, a progression. And honestly, I think that like, the reason, the way these fonts are coming to us is obviously through Microsoft Word and various iterations. And I think it actually has been a, a genuine progress. So Arial was like okay in its day. It was all right. Verdana, was, Verdana, I feel, was an improvement on Arial. But now Calibri, which they use, it's a clear improvement on Verdana in my view. Um, among the Helvetica style fonts, I mean, it's, it's really pretty good. It looks nice. Um, it's not too big. Because, I mean, I feel with Arial, yeah. you get a lot of wasted space between characters that I don't like. Yeah. Um, but well, I'm a Tahoma sort of guy as well. I don't mind a bit of yeah. Tahoma. Yeah, Tahoma's all right. Tahoma's all right. Um, the one, though, if you're going to talk about what is the best document font, I mean, obviously, if you're going to go for the best document font, it has to be the one that's most widely used, and I'd have to say Courier or Courier New. Um, yeah, yeah I do like a bit of Courier. Look, it's really good, and it's used everywhere because it's a really good fixed-width type uh, font. Uh, everything And every character is pretty recognisable. You don't have the lot of... One and L questions that uh, can get in the way, so that, that's a really nice thing about it. Um, Lucida as well. Yeah, yeah, I don't mind that. Um, one of the ones I like is um, Tribute, which is an emigre font. Um, there's, a tri- there's a Tribute or all caps, I think it's called, or whatever it is, and it looks like old printed books, like my grandmother used to own. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's really nice. So if you ever want to do like an old timey book thing. Like, um, it's really good for sort of headings and um, uh, heads of chapters and all that sort of thing. It's a perfect one for that, the all caps one. Yeah. Uh, small, small caps, sorry, is what I mean. Okay. Anyway, next question. One Great Club has asked, has this been the year of the most baffling week-in, week-out selection decisions in the history of our Great Club? And if so, why? <clears throat> uh, I think quite possibly the answer could be yes to that. Uh, I've, I've found more sort of head-scratching uh, d- 
decisions this year than certainly um, in the last two or three. Probably the last time I was I was this baffled would have been about 2009 under Choco, I reckon. Mm. Um, outside of that, yeah, I, I would say this has been. Uh, the reason why? Um, probably the fact that we've just not been able to um, settle on a, a team which which can be successful, I guess, is the answer to that question. Yeah, we've had a lot of injuries, so that's... Um, that's probably added uh, a little bit of um, extra change there in trying to settle on the depth players to, to take those spots of guys like Carlisle and Trengove and, and Homps who've missed uh, the, most of the year or, or been uh, moved into other positions. Um, so, yeah, probably. That's a good yeah. question. Yeah, look, I mean, I think the baffling, it probably is up there because it's taken a while for us to, like, even now, I'm not entirely sure what the principles they're selecting on are. Uh, you know, at one stage, we were pretty, I was pretty certain it was hard work, you know, to work hard, but then Pollock came in and Need got dropped. Um, so we obviously changed that up a little bit. I, I still think we play far too many defenders. Yeah, look, I mean, I think that's yep. probably a fair comment as well. Um, we've, we've improved in that regard from this time last year, though. I mean, this time last year, we were just lousy with them. It was ridiculous, but... Mm. We've got, like, currently in the side, we've got Austin, Trengove, uh, Cleary, who mm. pretty much all play in defence, except for Trengove, um, yep. because of Lobie. Uh, Pittard, Byrne Jones, Broadbent, who pretty much always play in defence. And then we've got O'Shea and Cracker on the bench, who pretty much never leave defence. So do we need eight defenders? I don't think we really do, to be honest. Look, I mean, I'm almost, particularly with Hartlett when he's playing quarterback, um, I kind of feel, though, with Pittler and um, Darcy Byrne-Jones, though, I think we kind of... They are playing as defenders currently, but I think when Porter flying, they're not playing as defenders. It might be something that is still in the works, but I feel like they're sort of... They're two guys that I want on that defensive side of the centre square near the 50 area, so it's still technically yeah. defence, but that they're also pretty heavily involved in midfield as well. That's where I'd like to see those two longer term. Um, so I don't know whether you'd still count them as defenders in that case. Um, yeah, I don't know. But they're, they're pretty key to our counter-attack. Uh, Nathan Cracker, I think he's lost a bit of that, and that's probably why he's dropped off. I don't think he's been so good on the counter-attack this year. Yeah, I'd, I'd be happy to see him go at the end of the season. Yeah, I mean, he's still got a bit of talent to him, no doubt, but oh, I don't know. Don't know, don't know. All right, and look, there's a question here that I really like. It came in late, and it's a little bit why we're a couple of minutes late today because I was just sort of thinking through it all. So um, I've instructed Macca to interrupt me when it's getting too boring, and you can interrupt on Spreaker Chat as well. Um, the question is from Sleazy. It's getting too boring. Oh, shut up, Macca. Sorry. It's, oh. well, at least let, let, let me ask the question first. <laughs> what do the panellists feel we can learn from Jewish culture regarding the importance of education in raising the recently emancipated from poverty and inequality? Now, first of all, you have to question what the we is. So let's use this purely in the context of football. We'll just try and reduce it a little bit. Um, do we consider Port Adelaide to be a club recently emancipated from poverty and inequality? Um, poverty, maybe, a little bit. Inequality, not much, but a little bit. We, we have to fight with it. Um, one of the things about Jewish culture is the way that they, uh, and any other minority culture as well, quite honestly, that um, comes into a... Uh, an area with a dominant culture already, is the way that they tend to stick together. Um, and I think that if you look at Jewish culture, particularly in Europe, I mean, there's no greater example of that than the Rothschilds. Um, so the Rothschilds were originally, uh, I think the head of their, the head of their line, and it's recognised as the head of their line, was the court Jew, which is what it was called. 
Um, <laughs> they, were allowed, they, were to, they were allowed to do ursary, which was basically lending money, which was against Christian ethics. And people were um, basically Christians weren't allowed to lend money, and so the Jews could make money from doing that. But unlike a lot of so other back Jews, to football. yeah, all right, fine. <laughs> I can do a podcast on this subject, so if anyone really wants me to, I will. I'll shut up now. I didn't even get near my point, Macca. On your Jewish culture podcast. (laughs) No, it's more than that. It's not just Jewish culture. It's the culture of power, and it's a story that goes not just from there. It precedes Jewish culture. It goes through to the Republican Party of today, and it's all about how powerful people use segregation and inclusion to their best effect. Um, they, they, you, yeah, anyway, I'll shut up. Sammy Cahoon, Fringe Force 5. <laughs> All right, we'll move on to Fringe Force 5. Fine. Cahoon actually sounds like a font name as well. It does, doesn't it? I don't know, I'll only ever think of um, Cahoon uh, basically being, what, Des Cahoon from the advertiser? Like, that's what I'll see every time. That's all right. <laughs> Sam Cahoon. So, look, we've got a bit of a nothing for him. He hasn't played this year, has he? So, uh, he was picked three in the 2013 preseason draft. He's about 21 years old. Um, he uh, has played, what, 16 games in about three three seasons now. Um, he had, obviously, um, a knee reconstruction in 2014, and then he played a few games last year, and he hasn't played any this year. So the question we were asking earlier in the season is, does he have a future at Port Adelaide beyond 2016? But I think now the, answer, the question to ask is, does he have a future at any AFL club in 2017? No. <laughs> no. the simple answer to that question. Yeah. I can't see him staying on the list next year. I, I think he's probably the first one that will be out the door come Mad Monday, I think, to be honest. Yeah, yeah. Look, I think it's a pretty safe bet, isn't it? Um, if, if, like, he's had an, an outstanding year in the SANFL. Don't get me wrong. He has been super consistent. He regularly gets his 30 touches and 10 marks and sets up the play from the back line and, and does that quarterback role really, really well. But I just can't see where he fits in at AFL level. It's something that we said at the start of the season, and it's just been um, a theory that sort of rung, you know, through the the year. Every time we've spoken about him, so mm. I ca- I really can't see where he fits in, and that's why I think he's going to go. And look, I think um, I think he might get picked up by another club. They're, you know, one of the the bottom four clubs um, probably wouldn't mind a player like that. Someone like Brisbane. Um, might have a look at him. You know, if someone that uh, can actually win the ball uh, with experience, um, who's in the right sort of age bracket for them. Um, you know, if we, if we can get any sort of pick back for him, that'd be great. Yeah, look, I think he's got no show of being on an AFL list next year, um, mm. even at Brisbane or somewhere like that. Uh, and the reason for that is that, like, even the year we drafted him, like, even the year we drafted him, he was, what, a pre-season draft player, you know? Every club looked at him yeah. and they decided he wasn't worth it that much because he's kind of yeah. short and kind of vanilla. Um, and this year, I mean, if you want a vanilla South Australian that's kind of short, like, there's a few, there's a few. In fact, there's actually a few that have probably got drafted late that actually have a bit of an upside to them as well. Um, it's just going to be so easy to replace him. If we, wanted, if we wanted to replace him with an identical or better player this year, it would not be hard. Um, and they'd yeah. be from oh, South absolutely. Australia as well. Yeah. So it, I think that's really what it comes down to, is yeah, that a... in AFL teams, he's just not a desirable commodity. Yeah. If you're small and you're short and you're slow, yeah. and you don't have a great kick, yeah. you'd want to be someone like Sam Mitchell or Greg Williams, yeah. to be honest. Or, and, like, yeah, yeah. and Sam Cahoon can't, he's, he's never, ever going to perform as an inside midfielder, ever. Um, so yeah, he just doesn't have a spot. No. no. Sorry, Sam. Sorry, Sam. That's how it is. Um, and um, Rick owes me a box of tea. 
<laughs> he does too. All right. Well, look, we'll move on to the final round. Um, your winning look, side. And, oh, one, sorry. one thing before, Ooh, and this okay. is the this is the best question of the night right here. Oh, okay. Who is going to take more marks on Saturday night, Matt Lovey or Charlie Dixon? Or is it going to be a nil-all draw? Um, I will ask the same question for tackles. Uh, I think it's got to be Dixon. Whoa. I, look, I just don't... Like I, yeah, could be. I just could. don't think Lobby will have the space to do it. Plus he can't mark. So oh, He's that. taken a mark occasionally. He's taken eight marks in five games this year, which is great for a 200-centimetre player. <laughs> Just what you want. Uh, yeah. Um, Jimmy Beerkans has said Dixon's going to win with two marks, which is possible. Yep, that could happen. Yep. That could happen. Uh, I'm predicting get... that Dixon will drop more marks on his own than Loby and Dixon will take marks combined. Okay. I've got another one for you. Who's going to get more hit-outs, Lobby or Wines? Oh, Oh. (laughs) that is a tough question. That is the question of the part of it. Wines. I reckon reckon that's probably... If you're going to bet on it any week, I think it would probably be this week. Yeah. Interesting. And and that will only be with about four. So, yeah. Yeah. Good times. Had by yeah. all. Pretty exciting. Um, all right, look, and as I said before, we'll move on to the final wrap. Maka, time for the truth. Who's your winning side? What's your margin? And who is your highest goal kicker for Port Adelaide? Uh, Melbourne by 42 points. What? And West off kicking two goals. Uh, I, I, how's that going to happen? Is it going to be a shootout or something? What's going to happen to cause that? A shootout, yeah. uh, a one-way like, shootout. You mean, or no? I mean, like, is Port going to kick like ninety points, and the Melbourne are going to kick one hundred and thirty-two or something, or is it going to be like a low-scoring uh, game and they're just going to uh, smash us? No, it'll be like eighty to forty, sort of thing. No way! No, they're not that good in defence, Melbourne. There's no way they can keep a score as low as forty. Um, nah, nah, totally disagree, Macca. I'm going to go Port Adelaide by forty. Um, oh. <laughs> yeah, I reckon we're going to smash them. Um, highest okay. goal kicker for Port Adelaide, I'm going to say Chad Wingard with four. All right. Um, and yeah, that's mine. I, I, that's what I reckon. Yep. I like that. Yep. Yeah, and, and I reckon it will be more at that high end. I think it'll be like 120 to 80. I think it'll be a high scoring game. Well, Chad's um, had a good year and he's a, he's a known goal scorer against Melbourne. So absolutely. get four goals, I can see happening. Absolutely. Um, next year, immediate for Port Adelaide, who is going to come up from maybe not quite nowhere, but close to it and have a real impact this week? For Laporte Power, uh, yeah. Jared Pollock, I'm going to say, is going to have a bit of a day out. I'm going to say he's going to get 25 touches and a goal. Wow. Look, I hope you're right. I'd like that. That'd be great. I'd be happy with 20 touches and two goals, though. I'd probably prefer that. But that 25 and one would be fine. Yep. Um, I'm going to say Sam Gray. Sammy. Uh, yeah, Sam Gray. Look, I mean, he's a little bit. He's far enough down the midfield chain that he can get a little bit more space. And um, I think he had a bunch of tackled against them, or a bunch of clearances against them last time we played, or was it tackles? I can't recall. Anyway, he did all right against Melbourne earlier in the year. Um, I'm pretty happy to say Sam Gray will get 20 odd touches and maybe a goal. Okay. 
um, and hopefully about five clearances. Yep. Who's your um, pick for Melbourne? For Melbourne, look, that's a really good question. Um, I haven't given it a lot of thought. I would probably have to say, if we hadn't given him big raps, I'd probably say someone like Dan Kent. Um, but we have just been giving him big raps. So I'm going to give Thomas Bug, uh, only because he's going to really irritate the crap out of someone. Um, Robbie Gray or Travis Blake might get suspended against him, or Chad Wingard, potentially. Uh, he's, yeah. he's a really irritating player, and uh, he'll annoy the crowd, if nothing else. He is, uh, he is very irritating. He yeah. lives up to his surname, doesn't he? He, was, he is a bit of a bug. He was irritating at GWS and he's irritating at Melbourne. So. Yep, yep. Uh, you, my pick for Melbourne is going to be Aaron Vandenberg. Yeah, yeah. He, he's not As bad. I said earlier, hasn't really been overly impressive this year. He's a bit bog standard. Um, but I'm going to say he's going to have 20 and 2 playing on O'Shea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Could be. Could be. I don't know that I, I don't think O'Shea will play a whole game, honestly, but. Yeah, that could happen. Yeah. Um, all right, and next question. You bet the house, Macker. What's your What's your thing you think is pretty likely to happen, but there's just a little bit of risk? Uh, I'm going to bet the house that Max Gorn is going to take more marks than both Dixon, Lobie, and Trengove combined. Oh. Dixon, Lobie, and Trengove. No, no, I reckon Trengove will take marks. You reckon? Yeah, I reckon. I mean, the other two, I'm pretty confident you'd get the win there. But when you include Trengove, like if he plays forward, he'll take marks. I'm pretty confident yeah, in that. Yeah, it's possible. Um, possible. That's why I bet the house. It's, yeah. uh, it's got to be a risk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. I'm going to bet the house on Hogan and Watts kicking no more than four goals between them. Okay. I'd take that. Yeah. Look, I think that'll happen because um, they'll be who we're worried about. And so we'll just concentrate on them. Um, they're both pretty good, but I haven't seen both of them be really excellent. I, I don't know if I've seen it this year. I don't know. I have to think back. But mm. I, I don't think they. I don't think they both are at the stage where they're both going to excel on the scoreboard in the same side at this point. Hmm. All right. And I think that's about it. I think that's about it. It is. Um, Ryan Pillar has said he'll bet the house that we will disappoint. Um, there's no risk in that, though. So yeah. There is no risk. That is a given. <laughs> uh, but he has also said Hogan with five goals and 13 marks, which I don't think is at all likely. That's uh, that's up there. Well, he did have... What did he... He probably should have had that in the earlier game this year. I think he had 11 marks and kicked two goals four. Yeah. Yeah, so that's exactly uh, the point, though. It's in the realms of possible. <laughs> Possibility there. If it was the MCG, you might say a shot, but I mean Adelaide Oval. Nah, no, I don't see it. Um, all right. Well, look. I mean, I think we've actually made pretty good time today. We haven't had any weird questions or anything come in there, and you just cut me off before I could really get going on my little diatribe. Um, mm. Yeah. All right. I guess we're done. Thank you good for stuff. coming on tonight, Macca. Thank you, everyone, Pleasure. for listening in. Um, and if you're listening on, on the podcast, well, listen in live next time and you can annoy me. Um, there have been a few people making comments about, will this nerd shut up, which is fair enough. Um, you know, things like that. They, they just sort of give me a little bit of lift during the podcast. They remind me to be more annoying in future. So if you want to come and get me going, then certainly do that. Um, and yeah, uh, wrapping up, go Port Adelaide. Can the pair. Can Ports. Get over those Melbournes. Yes. Go, Melbournes. Sorry. Ports. <laughs> <laughs> Not a long kick
at the ball, think about going short. He's got Loby inside 50, ignores that, keeps it low. Westhoff. Wingard takes off, hands it up to Pope. The captain sees Westhoff. He's in the square. It doesn't need him.